0: He was primarily a messenger and clerk, responsible for the distribution and circulation of documents within NSA. What was in these documents may not even have been entirely intelligible to him, but it didn't have to be. All Dunlop had to do was photograph them and make sure that the film reached the Soviet officer handling him. If Dunlop had lived, it is unlikely that he would have recalled more than a small part of the material he passed to the Soviets. This is Retrace. It's September 10th, 2020. That was from page 249 of Dulles, Craft of Intelligence. Retrace is a Podcast and live stream that works on the problem or, or the question what's going on out there. And our point of departure is the concept of intelligence. And we identified three kinds of intelligence natural, artificial, and strategic. And we're working on strategic intelligence. We talked yesterday about three kinds of problems in Alan Dulles' Chapter 15, Security in a Free Society. The three kinds of problems were problems of information, problems of trust, and problems of survival. These aren't his distinctions. These These are ours. So, in our previous segment, we talked about giveaways and careless leaks as problems of information. If giveaways and careless leaks... Are, are your team's unintended information problems, then what we're going to talk about today, contrived leaks and betrayals, are intended information problems, which are, for your team, for your group, trust problems. They, they're no longer just information problems or perhaps not information problems at all. Depending on your framework, they are trust problems. Contrived leaks... Think of whistleblowers or competing employees within within an organization uh manipulating the press by releasing information selectively and uh betrayals we can imagine more easily. So in terms of trust problems, the first uh The first matter at hand is picking whom you trust carefully, and the second is hardening your team's valuables against anybody who you trusted but shouldn't have. Bulwarking against betrayals by, say, temporary dissenters in the case of contrived leaks, or by permanent enemies in the case of spy versus spy, so to speak. When we talk about valuables, it's probably helpful to um, to keep in mind Seymour Hersh's – I guess you'd call it a discovery of the family jewels at the CIA. So I'll just read from Hirsch's uh, recent memoir, fairly recent, uh, called "Reporter." Um, he explains that there was a secret internal CIA compilation of illegal activities known as the Family Jewels. And he got onto this uh, as the dogged reporter that he is. But then he later learned that a CIA historian uh, named Harold Ford wrote a secret history of William Colby's controversial career as CIA director in the Watergate years, and so he quotes from that secret history the part of it that's about him, that's about Hirsch and his reporting and the family jewels. He said, uh, suspicious at 1st that see, this is, now this is Ford uh, writing, but being quoted by Hirsch. Uh, Suspicious, at first, that CIA had participated in illegal actions related to Watergate. Hirsch's search expanded once he began expanded once he began to get scraps of information about the CIA's family jewels. Hirsch's allegations were based largely on the family jewels compilation of wrongdoing that DCI James Schlesinger, Colby's predecessor as director, had ordered in the wake of May the May nineteen seventy three Watergate revelations. Now, Hirsch inserts (laughs) uh, the the phrase of wrongdoing into into, uh, what Ford wrote. But anyway, the CIA had something that they seemed to admit they called the family jewels. It was to do with the activities after Watergate, and Hirsch got onto it. But anyway, we think about family jewels when we think about our group, whatever group you're in or groups that you're in, and – what's valuable to you, and what you need to protect from either whistleblowers, well-intentioned though they might be, or um, real enemies. And 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 whistleblowers aren't the only kind of well-intentioned good guy or or ally. So, let's talk about, we've talked in our previous segment about problems of information, let's talk about problems of trust, the two kinds that Dulles identifies in his chapter 15, contrived leaks and betrayals. Let's start with contrived leaks. We'll find that the the essential difference between contrived leaks and betrayals, if that's an exhaustive list of problems of trust, which it surely isn't, uh, but the essential difference here between the two kinds of problem that um, Dulles identifies, contrived leaks and betrayals, is, is motivation. So in the case of contrived leaks, the motivation is not hostility to the group. So let's think of a whistleblower in a government organization or in a company. They have privileged access to information. It doesn't have to be super secret. There doesn't have to be a piece of paper with secret written on it. There doesn't have to be a locked file cabinet or a, a you know, a sophisticated electronic uh, container of any sort, virtual container. It can just be something that someone, some employee, company, or government heard, and then that person sees what's going on in the public, they know a secret, or, you know, I mean, it doesn't have to be a profoundly deep secret to be a secret. Anything that we don't know about what's going on in an organization, whether that organization has an intelligence component or not, is in effect secret to us to outsiders. But then you're you're an outsider to an organization, but you're an insider to the larger group, let's let's say the society or the nation state of which that organization is a part and you are a part. In contrived leaks, whether it's a whistleblower or whether it's some machinations by a competing employee, let's say you're deputy director of whatever, and there's a, a you know a junior position below that. At You're working at the SSI super secret intelligence organization, and the junior, your, your subordinate, or your, at least the, the junior employee with respect to your position, leaks some secret that makes you look bad. And of course, the, they're not going to leak the whole story. They're not going to leak the fair picture if their motivation is to get you or to get you out of the way. Maybe they think you're a bad guy, maybe they think maybe they don't care whether you're good or bad, they just want you out of the way. They're ambitious. We're all ambitious to some extent. So, what's the motivation there? The motivation is hostile to someone or something, but it's not the kind of hostility that is a part of betrayal. You might feel like it's a betrayal if you trusted this person, of course, but you're not the larger group either of the you know you're not the organization or you're not the the ultimate large group of which the organization is a part or a member so the motivation is hostility to something within the group it's subgroup hostility compare betrayals think cold war soviet spies versus western spies oh moles and we'll talk about all the different some of the different kinds of Spying things that need to be dealt with in this in this domain. Um, There's hostility to the whole group in the motivations of a betrayer. If you have a spy from, let's say, let's take it down a level from the nation state to the company. Now, two competing companies. Let's say you both make computers, and you. I mean, this. Is, I don't know if... I can't bring to mind any stories off the top of my head, but corporate espionage is a real thing. And, I mean, it should be called commercial espionage. Not everything's a corporation. We can imagine... <laughs> we can imagine... I'm not saying this is... Um, that I know anything about anything like this. We can imagine Apple <laughs> arranging for for an employee to be hired by Google uh, who is going to funnel in from... Actually, what am I talking... I know a story. Okay, listen. Uh, Steve Jobs got really ticked off about this because... Oh, jeez, what's his name? Eric Schmidt. Eric Schmidt was on the board of... Eric Schmidt was the CEO of Google for a long time. And he was also sitting on the board at Apple. And um, then I think it was when Google came out with Android that Steve Jobs became irate because he realized that Eric Schmidt is, is privy to all of Apple's secrets and he's creating a competing product the whole time. So anyway, that's one case. I don't know if it's the best case. Um, is there hostility? I mean, if your loyalty as Eric Schmidt is to Google – who knows what his loyalty where his loyalty he his loyalty might be to his bank account. I mean it's you know it's hard to say. In any case, not just this one. But you can call that, I mean, from Steve Jobs' point of view, it was definitely a betrayal. Uh, uh, Schmidt's hostility seemed on its face to be to Apple, the whole group. Um, conversely, after that, Steve Jobs' what did I say? The hostility to Apple was Eric Schmidt's. Uh, Steve Jobs's after the event would be to, to toward google or at least to eric toward eric schmidt but um that's at the company level you can go lower you can go higher to the nation state level you can go to the to the block level the western civilization is a group by some definitions and in the minds of some hostility to the larger group is where we find the concept of betrayal but within the group we can Think of contrived leaks of information and, and any machinations and, and stratagems and, and goings-on and intrigue as being differently motivated. It, it, the, mo- the ultimate sort of form of the motivation is the same, but the, the identification of the group is the difference. So in contrived leaks, the problem of trust is that even a group's friends or allies... Might see fit to strategically leak privileged information, perhaps for the good of the group directly, or perhaps the friends or allies, the friend or ally uh, thinks their own standing should be higher for the good of the group. And leaking serves both their own and the group's interests. Dulles explains what he means by contrived leaks. He says this. The contrived leak is the name I give to the spilling of information without the authority to do so, and it has occurred most often in the Defense Department. He's writing in 63, or publishing in 63, in the Defense Department, and at times in the State Department. There have been cases where subordinate officers felt their particular service or the policy which it is promoting was being unfairly handled by the press, or even by higher officials of government, because all, in quotes, all the facts were not available to the press and public. It is, in effect, an appeal by subordinates over the heads of superiors to public opinion. That's one way of looking at it, an appeal over the heads. Um, There are other ways to look at it. It it, it could just be... I think it was... uh, I think it was the Cy Hirsch... um, CIA story CIA that, that led to, I think, the church hearings. Uh, it, I don't remember who said this, but somebody pointed out that the CIA director at the time didn't uh, really vociferously deny the, the Cy Hirsch story um, because he was motivated, to, I think, to get rid of Angleton. It was, it was this story that Hirsch got was advantageous to the director who wanted to get rid of James Angleton. He comes up again and again when we're talking about cia and espionage especially in during the cold war um and i I don't know who i forget who the director was colby or um no i don't think it was adam uh and so he didn't deny the story and it gave him a way to get rid of Angleton. so that's not appealing to the public over your superiors um it's sort of letting the chess pieces play out in a certain direction because you know it's going to lead to something you want to happen the problem of leaks of whatever kind is not new eisenhower dallas quotes eisenhower's complaining about them in 1955 he's eisenhower and he's eisenhower's being quoted by cater in his book uh, the fourth branch of Government." Uh, eisenhower. I think he said at a press conference, for some two years and three months, I have been plagued by inexplicable, undiscoverable leaks in this government. Now, there's no more context to that quote, but we can always remember that leaks don't always mean the same thing to in, in different contexts. We've got contrived leaks, we've got careless leaks, as defined by, um, by Dulles, but, but it's, I mean, we could, we could go deep on that, that concept alone, the concept of a leak. It's intimately and inextricably linked to the concept of information and, in particular, the value of information, which is subjective, always subjective. There's no obvious way to measure the objective value of information. What about solutions to the problem of contrived leaks? Uh, We've already talked about President Wilson's proposal to Secretary of State William Jennings Bryan, Bryan in, in the letter and uh, attendant memo uh, that Dulles found in his attic or, or somewhere um, in, in 19 – that was written in February of 1915. The basic idea being that you – for the thing the secrets you really care about, you they need to be in the hands of as few people as possible. That's compartmentalization, I guess. And then the the ultimate strategy is that it may always be possible to fix the responsibility for a leak – Definitely and at once, in the words of Wilson. So this proposal, this strategy or or, um, pair of strategies, is as much deterrence as it is hardening. Uh, The fewer the people, the harder a group is to compromise. But even if someone in the group has been inserted or turned, uh, they now need to have an escape plan if they're going to leak anything. So much for Wilson's proposal. Dulles proposes other measures that, that would affect contrived leaks, uh, but most are also applica- applicable to other information and trust problems and survival problems. Uh, and so we'll discuss them in the next segment and our in the next and final segment on Chapter 15. What about betrayals, where the motive is hostility to the group? and of course a betrayal can be hostile it can be motivated by hostility to an individual group let's think of group n- mathematically not- although the term group in mathematics is not worth explaining but the let's say a group uh, let's say a set let's not say a set hostility to the set that's the way to say because a set can have one member or no members so betrayals can happen between individuals but we're mostly concerned with groups here cooperation makes things More powerful and more complicated. Dulles explains betrayal. He says, he means, uh, by betrayal he means our own defectors and those who betray our secrets and those of NATO under alien pressure and blackmail for money or for ideological reasons or merely to satisfy their ego and exchange excitement for boredom. We forget that, that the, the, depending on your point of view, if you see government whistleblowers as noble or as sinister, they, they mean to be seen as noble. And, and they certainly never mean to be seen as just looking for something interesting to happen, looking to make something interesting happen. Excitement, exchange excitement for boredom. It's worth remembering. We can't read their thoughts. We can read their words. We can read what others say about them. We can hear what they say on their own behalf, but we cannot read their thoughts. Dulles talks about pressure, blackmail, money, ideological reasons, and the ego. Well, if you're familiar with the world of intelligence, you might be thinking of MICE, the useful acronym for this sort of stuff. MICE stands for um, money, ideology, compromise, and ego, and sometimes compromises, coercion, depending on who's talking. Money, ideology, compromise, or coercion, and ego. This is from um, the Association of former intelligence officer's guide to the study of intelligence in an article by a psychiatrist or a psychologist and uh, charney and um, and a cia case officer perhaps the most oft cited explanation for espionage is the revealed knowledge known by the acronym mice as well as in many uh, subsequent variations while mice presents a more or less common sense view of general motivation, uh, of view of general motivation that was likely po- oh, that was likely popular before being presented to the public in print, it appears to have first been posited in a book by former KGB major Stanislav Levchenko, and Levchenko wrote a book uh, published in I guess 1988 by Pergamon called On the Wrong Side: My Life in the KGB. So, um, he defected in 1979 and wrote that memoir, published in 88, and Mice comes from that, according to uh, Charney and Irvin. All right, so, uh, and I think I first heard that on a TV talk show, that con- uh, the former intelligence officer mentioned Mice, It's it's a handy way to remember what... Most of what espionage is all about, uh, espionage and counterespionage. I mean, it's not most of what it's about, but geez, it's the it's it's one of the vital organs that concept. You know, it, it seems from an from an, outsider, an outsider's point of view, uh, trying to imagine what it would be like to work inside an intelligence organization. And by the way, you might already do that, and you just don't realize it. Uh, you know, if we define intelligence organization more carefully. But anyway, uh, trying to imagine what it's like being inside one, um, it might seem like finding betrayers uh, is an unequivocally good thing. And and Dulles will have more to say about this uh, in our next segment. But he he and others also point out that when you find a spy, let's just use the, the shorthand spy, uh, when you find a spy in your organization – it's and and it becomes known more widely than than just the people involved. Um, well, just imagine. I mean, what, what do you start to worry about if you work at that organization or that organization works for you? In the case of a, a government that's responsive to its to its people, are you going to be? Are you going to feel a sense of relief? Were you thinking before that story broke that I know there's a spy out there? I, and and so we just you know I'm worried. I hope we catch him soon. And then when the story breaks, you think, oh good, we we caught him. Oh that's good. I feel better now that I heard that story. No, it's the opposite. You are not thinking about it. Even in the intelligence community, it's it's presumably pretty difficult to maintain this sort of constant sense of that possibility to hold in mind those two pictures of reality that one is that all these people that you work with and you trust and you were careful to pick or someone else is careful to pick and careful to pick you these are good guys on your team that's one picture of reality that you have to hold and then the other is the angleton version we'll call it uh, the longtime chief of counter espionage at the cia under dulles and others uh, the angleton version which is there is there is probably or almost certainly a bad guy in our group, and we don't know who it is. Hold those two pictures of, in, in your mind. That's that's what you should be doing, if you're in an intelligence organization, or if you're benefiting from one, which we all are in some way or another. So you hear the story that we caught one, and let's assume that it's true, and it's not trumped up charges, or there's some political motive, or strategic motive that isn't political. You know, the, the definitions are loose here. Well, uh, let's assume this, assuming the story is true. You you have a reaction of presumably suddenly thinking about this problem and then worrying that there are more or worrying about the damage that person already did. The damage is over. We caught him. And you're now worried about the damage. It's already done. So, both Dulles and Lowenthal, whose um, textbook intelligence from secrets to policy eighth edition uh talk specifically about this problem the, the the havoc wreaked on an organization by suspicion either suspicion based on events that have not happened yet but that are be- you know, that are believed to be happening in the case of angleton he might or might not have been reacting to the discovery of spies in various circumstances or after the discovery of a spy the suspicion and worry and consternation that follows that there might be more of them. How bad is the situation? I mean, have, have you, dear listener, have you ever been spied on, set aside the sort of mass surveillance that, that's a, a, a fact of life and presumably not even avoidable um, by most means of encryption? Have you ever been spied on? Some of us have, some of us haven't. That's a strange feeling presumably. And it really depends on the nature of the spying. If someone looked over your shoulder in, in in a cubicle setting, how much could they really discover? If they put a camera in your hotel room, that's totally different. Havoc is what is wreaked by the discovery of betrayal, discovery of... Spies within an organization. This is what Dulles says about it. In passing, it is worth noting that the exposure of presumed espionage or treason, indeed even the hint of it in high places, has a powerfully disruptive effect on governments that can be matched by little else. And he goes on to talk about the Dreyfus case. Lowenthal Secrets to Policy, 8th edition, says this. The basic tendency within any intelligence organization, or any organization for that matter, is to trust its own people who have been vetted and cleared. They work with one another every day. Familiarity can lead to lowering one's guard or being unwilling to believe that one's own people may be disloyal. But the alternative behavior unwarranted suspicion can be just as debilitating as having a spy in one's midst think about that for a second unwarranted uh, suspicion can be just as debilitating as actually having the spy it reminds me of what we talked about in the previous segment uh the the oss agent uh talking about rumors and how effective they are which is worse For a country at war or or an organization at war, having a problem, or believing that it has the problem, even if it doesn't, the the group believing that it has the problem. It depends on the problem. What's the problem? I I mean, you could apply this to pandemics. If you believe that a uh, you know a a pandemic that we might or might not name uh, is really bad physiologically, medically. Um, okay, depends on your sources. fine. You, let's say you believe the opposite. you've got two groups that believe sort of opposing things about this about a pandemic. and and then, then there's a third question we have to ask besides what do you believe or what do you believe? The question is, versus the actual thing going on in the world that's subjective. that's objective, is it worse than the beliefs about it and the uh, the effects caused by those beliefs? Are the effects of the virus worse or less bad than the effects of the beliefs about the virus? In the world of intelligence, this, this is equivalent to the problem of having a spy versus thinking you have a spy in your organization. Lowenthal continues, James Angleton, who was in charge of the CIA's counterintelligence from 1954 to 1974, became convinced that a Soviet mole, a deeply hidden spy, had penetrated the CIA. Some believed that Angleton was reacting to the fact that his close British associate Kim Philby had turned out to be a Soviet agent. Angleton was unable to find the mole, and some believe that he t- uh, that he tied uh, some believe that he tied the CIA in knots by placing virtually anyone under suspicion. Some suggested that Angleton himself was the mole, and that he created a furor uh, to divert attention. What do you believe about Angleton? We've already talked about, in, in the context of Alan Dulles as a person, Angleton's supposed deathbed confessions, or, or death room confessions, I don't know if it was on, on the last day of his life. The, what do you believe about Angleton. Well, that's a decision, isn't it? Based on the evidence. And there are many problems of evidence. We can contrast um, the solution of paranoia to prevent or to ferret out betrayal with President Wilson's proposal of having a small group, let's call that compartmentalization, and then hardened deterrence thereby, which is the, the group is small, Everybody, we all know who's in it, and we know, we know that the secrets are only held in that group, so that if it gets out, it's going to be pretty easy to find out who leaked it. That's deterrence. Um, we can contrast that with this mole scenario, this idea of, uh, which defeats it. The mole, um, which is a situation where you have secrets being leaked from very high up, but they're not known to be leaking, and and so the, the leaker, the agent, uh, the high-up agent, requires no escape plan. In Wilson's scenario, that agent has to get out if they... Because, the, because it's known that the information has leaked. But if the information isn't known to have leaked, watch any spy movie. Or not any spy movie, but some spy. Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy is the perfect case of this. Um, if you know, Before the, the secrets are known to be leaking, it's a completely different situation and one that does not require an escape plan for the the mole. By the way, mole, popular to outsiders as it might be uh, in the world, uh, in thinking about intelligence, actually is a fairly recent term, and I've I've yet to read it, used by the old school intelligence guys. We just heard Lowenthal use the word, but um, uh, Peter Gross, uh, Alan Dulles' biographer, says this, The CIA, along with the rest of the world, never succeeded in penetrating the mind of Stalin and did only marginally better with the Soviet leaders who succeeded him. Acquiring such intelligence would ideally require a mole, a well-connected agent within the Kremlin, who could accurately and confidently report out his findings. And then he notes that the term mole is a relatively recent addition to the lexicon of espionage and that it was coined uh, by John le Carré. Though such a boon sometimes appears in the history of intelligence, meaning a mole, uh, it generally belongs in the category of what Alan called storybook stuff. So Alan Dulles, according to Grose, thinks moles are mostly story, mostly are all storybook stuff. So let's recap. We were talking yesterday about information problems, careless leaks and giveaways. And today we've established that they're different from trust problems contrived leaks, and betrayals. And they're different based on the intentions and the groups of those involved. Everyone has selfish motives, and most of us have selfless motives as well, motives for the good of the group, although you could argue that they're not actually selfless, but we'll set that aside. Money, ideology, compromise, blackmail, coercion, Ego, ego satisfaction, these changes in these factors can change motives, but even solving a particular trust problem case, if you have one in your group, can lead to paranoia and profound dysfunction. Strategic intelligence is a world of such inherent complex problems, and any group trying to survive would seem to need subtle, if not complex, solutions to its intelligence problems. Next, we're going to talk about survival and the role of strategic intelligence and spies in our final segment on Dulles' Chapter 15, Security in a Free Society. References from today's show will be in the RSS show notes and the podcast feed. Full notes are on our website. Our website is retrace.com R-E-T-R-A-I-C-E dot com. This is segment number four. Signing off.